If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another monthly update episode. We want to get started by taking a moment to give some shout outs to our Patreon listeners. We really appreciate our Patreon support so, so much. It really keeps the show going. So we just want to thank you. And I'm going to start by saying a big thank you to Lola C. from Bothell, Washington, Elena D. from Seattle, and Alice S. also from Seattle. What's up, Washington? And we have Nicole from Loveland, Ohio, Erica from Santa Clara, California, Dana from Cornelius, Oregon, and Jamie from Coos Bay. But I like to call her Jammy yeah, because of the a, spelling. That's a cute spelling. Hey, Jammy. Hopefully she doesn't hate that. <laughs> and coming around the bend, we've got Mitzi G from Issaquah, Washington, Hillary H. from LaGrande, Oregon, Tammy K. from Washougal, Washington, and Scout from Woodland, Washington. Thank you, everybody. Yay. Yay. We love you. I think my favorite part of being part of the Patreon process is the interactions. Like we get so many comments oh, on yeah. episodes and stuff and it feels, I don't know, a little more intimate or something. It where is we cool. can just talk with people. Yeah, you can have conversations on every episode or they can message us directly with case suggestions. It really, it really is cool. And Patreon did some updates. There is a free level now. Oh. So you can log in and follow your favorite shows or, or content creators and they may post free stuff for oh, you. Oh, that's cool. Like what we did with the Halloween show yeah, just a exactly. couple weeks ago. So they have a whole level That's now. awesome. That's really cool. Because then you could look and be like, oh, I want to see what that thing is. Or I'm cool with this. That's, yeah. So thanks, you can Patreon. follow us for zero dollars, but you get extras starting at a dollar a month. That's great. Well, what have we been up to this month? So much has been so going on. So much. Well, we're back from CrimeCon. We are. I think what, that's a good starting what point. What a blast it was. So much fun. I mean, talk about, we had, you know, the flight was rough getting in. Weren't we on the tarmac for a while? Or was that a different flight? No, yeah. We landed in Florida and I think we were there about an hour. Yeah. So we were like, oh, this isn't going to be a good weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but then we got there and we're in the lobby and who's standing behind me? But Derek from Big Brother, Josh was like, we are getting into the room. We are here. We are done. It was a horrible flight. We had horrible children behind us. And then I saw Derek and I'm like, hey, Josh, just one second. And I like scamper over. I'm like, Emily, look behind you. 
and I did a full 180 <laughs> and then I kept going because my eyes got big and I, I turned around like three times, I'd say. And I did the most awkward. Yeah, please detail the oh initial gosh. viewing of Derek. So I'm looking at him. He's not looking. He's a, We're in like the little VIP check-in area. Not because I'm a VIP. It was mm. just no one was there and someone was open <laughs> and he said, you can come over here. But Derek, now he's a VIP. Truly. So he's standing there and I look <laughs> make eye contact and I lift my hand up at like my waist level and I do the most awkward wave and I go big fan big fan (laughs) and I look over to see yeah this arm that is just like just as if she only moved at her elbow just the elbow went and raised the arm and then eh, 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 well and then eh, eh, I mean I was starstruck because I I've I think (laughs) he's my favorite player I mean top three favorite yeah and then players. he's done all this cool true crime stuff yeah on and top he has this discovery show and he's working with nancy grace now like he's he's a big he's a big personality right yeah so then um i had a bunch of gatorade he complimented uh my idea to bring gatorade to the to the place and i offered him one <laughs> like a total <laughs> it became awkward. like the thing and it became our joke so the <laughs> entire weekend but the next day i was all like mugged off because i couldn't find our booth and i was carrying all that heavy shit and i I finally find you. We sit down. You go, I know something that's going to make you feel better. Well, because you're like, just give me a minute. I am not happy. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I get that. Uh Uh-huh. But you might want to chill out a little because look right there. And you're like, (gasps) he was right across from us. The elbow went up again. The The arm. No, I wasn't awkward. I pulled it together, you guys. And I was charming the rest of the weekend. It's true. You really were. And we have pictures with him and friendship. And we'll be seeing him again next Crime Con. And it was so awesome. I We lost track of how many people we saw but a couple thousand oh so many and so many great new listeners I and mean, just awesome people I was really I I had some apprehension going in and I think a lot of people do when they hear crime con yeah. it's like is this glorifying it is it super focused on certain aspects you know and I it's clear to me that they have really made an effort as an organization or an event whatever you want to call it to put victims first, to put families first, mm-hmm. to put education first. Well, and it offers a platform for local families mm-hmm. to bring in flyers for their missing family member. Mm-hmm. And I was just shocked and taken aback at how many families were there. Yeah. We came home with like 30 plus flyers. Oh, yeah. I've made like a whole separate spreadsheet. I have piles of paper for us to go through for what we can cover like on True Crime Tuesday and just or that, for cases. That stack of magnets that you have. Yeah. With, how many was it? 52, uh, 48 different missing people. Yeah. And they're all yeah. and they're all from Josephine County. Yeah. I mean, it's in Oregon. That's insane. Yeah. So and just such great connections. People that we're going to work with for shows. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You're going to do True, True Crime Mirage. Mirage. Yeah. We're we're planning something soon. That was really exciting for me because as I came into listening to true crime podcasts i i started listening to generation y true crime garage and you know another one i shall not name right and uh i just you know you put them on a pedestal because you listen to their voices right. every week and he was two tables down and the nicest so nice. guy ever and so i'm i'm really looking forward to spending more time with him and then yeah. also um generation y you know we're we're used to seeing justin at at places but uh aaron was there and Aaron's a pretty cool guy, too. Yeah, you had a long convo with him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so just want to say thank you to everyone who showed up, everyone who 
there were so many people from Florida who would laugh and be like, oh, yeah, Florida is like the Pacific Northwest. But over here, and we're like, <laughs> you know, crime speaking. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and the people that we're going to work with, the people that we're going to share the stories of. It was just a really cool opportunity. So, yeah, I highly recommend for anyone who has curiosity about working in true crime or you have just a casual interest in it or you want to learn specific things. There were just a lot of opportunities. Now, the downside of CrimeCon is I'm a bit of a rule follower. I always have Me been. Me too. So when we got the rules of what we had to fulfill being at CrimeCon, we took them very seriously yes, from how much merchandise we could bring to how long you had to be in your booth. Others didn't do that. Not and so I, much. It rubbed me the wrong way that there were some very popular people that maybe didn't fulfill their duties yeah. very well. <laughs> well, but you know what? It worked out because on Friday and Sunday for quite a portion of the day, we were the only show in our section of Podcast Row. So when fans came through, yeah, we when talked to them. local people came through, when People Magazine came through... We were the only ones around, so that's who they talked to. So and, that was and cool. Derek's podcast too. Oh yeah, he they did a great they job. Were there the whole he day. was not to obsess about him. Sorry, everybody, <laughs> but it was so cool. On one side of us was a show that is very large. Was he is huge? I'd never heard of it, but it's it's huge, and they were like not there. Ever. Or like casually brought a baby into an age restricted event. It's not that they weren't there. It was that they didn't have anyone there. So it, yeah, Derek wasn't there. He had people people that worked on the show assistants or whatever there. So there's yeah. always a presence there to and sell he, merch or to tell them when Derek will be back. And he stood there for so long Hours. every day taking photos, signing things talking about mm -hmm. his shows, talking about Big Brother with every Which is cool person. to see someone who's so big be so engaged with his yeah, audience. Yeah, like he could have so had... So Big Brother. So, so Big, big Brother. brother. <laughs> he could have had his own like meet and greet time. Yeah. And he didn't. He was out there. And so that could've was really Emily cool. a meet and greet. Hey! Oh my God. But I'm done. So yeah, I would have to say... And this is more, you know, for our Portland people who would get a kick every once in a while as we were saying things to people, you know, like, oh, we're based in Portland and you'd get, you know, some pearl clutching. Oh, you're from Portland, isn't it? Burned to the ground. You know, oh, people so were, many like, people shocked. think it doesn't exist. Anymore. Or like that we survived enough to <laughs> leave it. And like, oh, people are still in Portland. And it was really great because this guy, I don't remember which day it was, I think Saturday it was. And there weren't a ton of people around. And I think a big event was happening. So it was pretty quiet. And this guy comes sauntering over and he's just checking out. He's like, oh, hey, hey, what's going on? I'm like, oh, hi. Well, and I start my spiel that you guys had to hear 10,000 times. Hey, we're based out of Portland, Oregon, covering cases in the Pacific Northwest. Da, 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 da. And he goes and he gets this look on his face like ah, ha, ha. I feel like that's the only way to describe what his face looked like. <laughs> he's like Portland, huh? You cover Antifa and like as if, oh, shit, he got me. And I just laughed. Can I say from my perspective, oh, please. as I watched it, <laughs> my insides dropped into my feet <laughs> when I heard him say that. <laughs> because he was being a jerk about it yeah. or because I was going to well, he be was me? being Well, he didn't even know what he was being, but no. I knew that, that you were going to have some sort of reaction to it. <laughs> And he just, he was a real like uh, crew cut golf dad. Yeah. Khaki. <laughs> no offense to crew cut golf dads. No. With no, an open but, mind. Yeah. But you, you know the you look. Know. Florida guy. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not exactly a crime con look. Yeah. As crime con looks go. Yeah. 
He, he was. I was terrified in the moment. <laughs> and so I just like I could feel my face turn red. And I was like, well, I guess we do because I am. And he like, huh? I was like, yes, I am anti-fascist. I am Antifa because that's what it stands for. Because like the government shouldn't tell us what to do with our body. I don't want a fascist leadership. And then I went back into the spiel because I was like, I can't get into this right now. <laughs> and I feel like he just kind of like, huh? Like he had never looked up what Antifa I feel like meant. <laughs> he was trying to be funny without really knowing what he was saying. Yeah, funny or like goading me or something. And it was just like, okay, but you don't know what but you're honestly, talking about. <laughs> I was so pleasantly surprised at how little that type of person was there. Everyone I was, was shocked. really open. I was like, Florida. I saw a couple hats. That yeah. was about it. Some questionable hats. Yeah, but overall. No Confederate flag or anything. <laughs> and I, I always am just least, so pleasantly surprised by how many people will like come and engage with us and buy a t-shirt. Oh and my God. hadn't even listened to us before. It blows my mind. I'm like, you just enjoy the artwork. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> or or like we had a really good interaction. Or like Josh said, you had a good point with it. It's like a concert tee. Yeah. You want to remember. Oh, it. yeah. Like, even if you don't know the opening act, be like, well, they might be something. And I saw yeah, yeah, either way, it's a, mem a memento from yeah. the time. And one yeah. gal said that. She goes, I, I feel like I'm going to like you after meeting you. And yeah. I said, oh, that's great. Let's hope that rings true. But she, <laughs> did. she did. <laughs> yeah. So it was just a really awesome opportunity. We got to see Jill again from Jill. Austin. And it was her birthday. And it was amazing because she would just like go do something and come back an hour later and be like hey guys the most amazing thing just happened yeah, and it she was she had the weekend it of her was life. the best weekend she was like getting interviewed on podcasts <laughs> and by that tv show across from yes. and she was connected by dna to a murderer yes oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god she got to witness the shove oh my god the i bar. forgot about the shove <laughs> this very inebriated via stimulant woman came shoving through the bar and then I kind of gave a look of like what the hell are you doing and was just like examining the situation and she turned and though her voice was saying I'm really sorry her face looked like she wanted to kill me <laughs> I think she, was she was confused too I think she was allegedly on cocaine yeah I am alleging this yes yeah. <laughs> you are the one making the I allegation will, I'll take the heat that, that young lady was on Cocaine! Yeah. So anyway, it was a super great time. I loved it. And we can't wait to go back in May to Nashville. Hopefully. Hopefully. On Podcast Row again. Yeah, that would be so fun. We will be there. Yeah. For all of our required eight hours a day. That's right. With our three items to sell. <laughs> What's in Nashville? Is that the Grand Old Opry? It sure is. Wow. Oh, my. <laughs> that was not planned, but it was perfect. I don't like it. I'm going to mark that for, I'm going to send that to the Smithsonian. <laughs> music Row. Mu oh, Music Row in Nashville. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. What else? Is there a, is that, uh, uh, where's, what's his nuts? Elvis. Memphis. Mm, that's different. It is. Okay. You get an A. <laughs> so speaking of Crime Con, I feel like we may be all, learned something there which was to look into podcasts that we listen to yeah you know there was a show there that we weren't super familiar with and kind of had a weird vibe from and then looked into it and learned that the person 
and Josh, you can help me with this. Basically, they didn't even have the credentials to become a Trump appointed lawyer or attorney or judge. judge. Or, a judge. Yeah, a fe- I think a federal judge. Yeah. Because of their background, basically. Yeah. Their lack of experience and other things that people have said that you can find. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was just kind of alarming to be like, whoa, this is a top 40 show and they're talking about cases. Are they really going to be able to look at it through a, a non-biased lens? Well, and to be fair, we don't know. We don't listen. Right. So it could be two different perspectives coming totally. together about a case, which I'd be kind of into to hear opposing mm-hmm. sides. But yeah, it, it just it made us pause and think, well, maybe you should do a little bit of research on that before going and, to bat for your favorite Yeah, person. and there are a lot of reviews, too, of people going, oh, I, I was, I got kind of a weird vibe while listening, and then I looked up and saw his history and was like, whoa. All of the information that I've gathered has, have been from reviews that I've read. Right. And they've said, yeah, yeah, that the spouse of one of them, they were in, I think, like the Roe v. Wade or something about reproductive rights. So, yeah, it's really just more of a... Uh, of a heads up, because, you know, if you're not sure about something, look into it, ask questions, like ask us questions if you're ever like, hey, this didn't seem right. And we'd love to engage in that. I do think, though, there are a lot of people that don't care to Big look time. into things and they just listen because they like the way someone sounds or they Absolutely. like the story. And that's OK, too. Yeah. But I think for me, I like to know a little bit more about the hosts and their perspective on on certain things. Well, and I think we've learned after certain plagiarism issues arose that people don't care. It's more, hey, maybe people do want to know. Some people want to know. And for other podcasters, because it's like, hey, we're trying to build the community. That's what I. Yeah. And if I'm putting in 100 hours to get a a case done and you are just reading that, that's not cool. There's something out there for everyone, whatever your level of interest is and knowing how a show is written to who is the voice right. behind your favorite podcaster. But uh, I just not everyone has that interest that we do. Oh, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. I obviously Chick-fil-A is still in business. I get it. Like <laughs> <laughs> people want what they want. I, I understand. As an example, there's another popular show that just released basically a Halloween episode, it seemed. And it appears that whether or not they were aware of it, the story they told was a provided story for a haunted house. So not true. Ba- not a true story. Yeah. So I, I, Josh and I both did research for about an hour each and we found the same five sources with the same exact information. I've reached out to local pol- police in the area of the story and the library and city hall and some journalists and I've heard back from one of the journalists and they were like, yeah, no, I, I heard about it a few years ago when the haunted house opened. I did some research and found no factual history. And the research we did on ancestry and newspapers show no results Nothing. for these these names, incidents, times, Nothing. counties, none of it, except yeah. when you get to the year, I think, 2015. When that, the haunted house. When happened. that yeah. starts, when that's the story for that place starts to to, to have some news items and it's you know that's okay if that if somebody tells a story like that but you have to put a warning on it yeah it's being it's being presented as a true story and for me I think of listeners who I've spoken to who say like how emotionally involved they get or like that someone would pray like I know there would be people who would pray for these three people who were axe murdered and the supposed all these missing people who were found on this person's property and it's 
It's just that's unfair. what upsets me. It feels like a fib if you're not gonna at the top of the episode say, "Hey, this is a a Halloween episode of like ghost story or yeah. something." Yeah, to me, it 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 sounds like in that episode that that they are not. They it's not like they forgot to to do a disclaimer. That I don't think they knew. Completely seems like they believe that this is a hundred percent. Well, then true. that's that's another problem because yeah. the, there's huge. a problem in the podcasting community of sourcing. Yeah, and appropriately, research. and so that makes me sad. Like. I don't know. We should probably have a very like direct conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, well, and I plan to. I'm Once I have more confirmation, you know, I'm going to talk to them directly and just say like something needs to be there. So it's not this isn't to like talk shit or bring any other show down because podcasting is about supporting each other because then you introduce it to someone else and then yeah. they introduce you to it's something a, else. It's a shared audience. Not yeah. you're not stealing audience from yeah, each other. It's, it's just you know, just be aware if something sounds off, if you're like, what? We have a a nursery rhyme still all these years later for Lizzie Borden, but we never heard of this man who killed his whole family. And like that doesn't seem right. Yeah. And and possibly up to 100 people. And we've never heard of it. That doesn't sit right. You know, so anyway, that's all. All right. Now for the actual updates of the monthly update, I've got quite a few for some of the cases I've covered in the past. We're going to start with Kirkland Warren. For those who attended our live show at Rev Hall, you know the story of Mache Melendez and Layla Stewart, the mother and daughter who were shot and killed back in March. I'll be telling that story hopefully in January when he goes to trial or maybe he'll take a deal beforehand. But Kirkland Warren, who was out on bond for murder at the time, is currently being held for their murders with the trial set to start in January. Sadly, it was just announced that he will be facing new charges as DNA recovered from seven-year-old Layla showed that he did rape her. So I can only hope that perhaps if the family wants it, this inspires him to take a plea deal to save them the pain of a trial. So we will keep you updated on that. Also, the trial is underway for the officers involved in the death of Emmanuel Manny Ellis, which I covered in our episode Unknown Trouble. Christopher Burbank and Matthew Collins are facing second-degree murder and manslaughter charges. The third officer involved, Timothy Ranke, has been given the lesser charge of manslaughter. Seth Cowden, also referred to as SC, the pizza delivery man, has testified, saying, I remember Manny being on the ground, and one of the officers was behind Manny and on his back, I believe with his knee, and the other officer was in front of him, I believe trying to get his handcuffs while assisting the other officer with keeping Manny down. Seth had taken the video and was asked about what was happening before he started filming. Before he could start, he was asked about his vision, and he did say that he was born blind in his right eye. Alana Malling, the witness who lived so close to the incident that her ring camera actually recorded it, also had vision issues. She testified that she wasn't wearing the glasses she should have been, as she doesn't currently own a pair. Even without her glasses, she said, I could hear the man pleading with the officer to stop, and then I heard a taser arc buzz. I saw two more officers run from the corner, diagonal of the scene, over to where the man and the officer were on the ground. 30 to 45 seconds after that, there was a much larger police response, and my view was mostly obstructed by police vehicles, police lights, and police personnel making a kind of circle wall around the scene with their bodies. Strangely, even though she and other witnesses filmed the incidents on their phones, two of them have claimed that their phones broke afterward. Hmm. Yeah, kind of a, I'm sure it's a coincidence. I hope it's a coincidence, but it's an odd one. More witnesses are set to be called, and we will keep you updated when there is a verdict. 
My next update comes from Aurora, Colorado, where in 2019, 23-year-old Elijah McClain was murdered. His death began to gain attention after the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Here's a quick recap of the case in case you're unfamiliar. On August 24, 2019, Elijah stopped by a convenience store. After he started his walk home, police approached him once someone called to report he looked sketchy. Elijah often wore a ski mask because he was easily chilled. There is body camera footage of the interaction. At 10.30 p.m., officers Nathan Woodyard, Jason Rosenblatt, and Randy Rodima arrived at the scene. Getting to Elijah, they told him to stop. It took a few tries to get him to do so as he was listening to music. When the officers told him again, he said that he had the right to walk home. Their rebuttal was that they had the right to stop him for looking suspicious. He said, I am an introvert. Please respect the boundaries that I am speaking. Leave me alone. Very quickly, the officers grabbed his arms and tried to handcuff Elijah. A struggle ensued and he was put into a chokehold, a move that has since been banned. On the ground, Elijah vomited and said, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to do that. I can't breathe correctly. The threat of a dog being released was made. The two chokeholds caused Elijah to pass out twice. Multiple officers arrived on the scene. They spoke about his incredible crazy strength and that he was acting crazy and was definitely on something. Paramedics arrived and pumped him full of ketamine. His body was limp as it was placed on the gurney. En route to the hospital, Elijah went into cardiac arrest, and he died a few days later. There were reports Elijah had autism, which his mother has corrected. He did not. The autopsy could not determine a cause of death except to say it could have been any combination of the cardiac arrest, which they also couldn't pin down a cause for, his terrible asthma, vomit that may have restricted his breathing, the chokeholds, the ketamine, or the pressure of the restraint. Once the footage was released to the public, there were protests and outcries. Elijah became known across the country as the young man who was a massage therapist and loved animals. He also loved music, playing both the violin and guitar. You may have seen the photo of him playing the violin for his beloved street cats, something he did to soothe them. A review of the investigation found fault in the officers for stopping Elijah for no reason and for escalating the force they used. The review also found the medical teams from fire and EMS were without haste in their support of Elijah at the scene. Documentation showed they gave 140-pound Elijah a dose meant for someone weighing 190 pounds. Initially, the ketamine dose? Yes, I'm sorry, the ketamine, yeah. Initially, no charges were brought to the involved officers. After George Floyd's death, though, the case was revisited. This time, charges were brought to the officers as well as two paramedics, Peter Sichenik and Jeremy Cooper. In 2020, Officer Rosenblatt was fired. Colorado made some swift changes to police protocol. Excessive force is to be reported if witnessed. Chokeholds are banned and ketamine is restricted. An investigation found the city of Aurora's police department was using racially based tactics. Colorado also paid Sheenan McLean $15 million for the wrongful death of her son. As she said, it's still blood money because that money has my son's blood on it. On October 13th, Jason Rosenblatt was found not guilty of manslaughter and assault. Randy Rodima was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide and third-degree assault. His sentencing hearing will take place in early January, and we will keep you updated. Both men have been fired from the APD. To stay up to date, you can follow a page managed by Elijah's mother at Justice for Elijah McLean. You can also support her legal fees at GoFundMe. Nathan Woodyard, the other officer involved, is currently on trial. The trial of the two paramedics is set to occur later this year. 
on our previous monthly update, I told you about 23-year-old Janavi Kandula, the student who was struck and killed by a speeding Seattle police officer who wasn't running his lights while she was crossing the street. In an update this week, the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office has hired a third-party firm to review the circumstances surrounding the investigation of her death. The driving force behind this decision was due to Officer Daniel Arderer, who was at the time and assumedly remains the VP of the SPD's Officer Guild. Being the one who was sent to the scene to give a field sobriety test to Officer Kevin Dave, who had been the one to hit Janavi. Arter was tasked with the testing as he is a certified drug recognition expert. After running the test, Arter said, It is very obvious to me that Dave was not impaired and was safe to operate a motor vehicle. This is a problem because it's not ideal to have a police union official be leading the investigation of a subordinate. Not only was the investigation an issue, but the guild itself provided Dave a lawyer. It was later that Officer Arderer called the president of the guild, Mike Sloan, and that was when the horrendous comments about Janavi's life were made, such as that she had limited value and that the city was going to do what they always did, which was write a check. Once he was busted, he said those comments were his playing out what he figured the city and lawyers would say, and they were all taken out of context. Because those comments were heard around the world and protests ensued, Arderer was reassigned. I'm not sure where he went, but at least he's off the streets. Once the review is completed, which is expected to happen in November, the firm will report any findings to the Felony Traffic Unit and Criminal Division. From there, the county will decide whether or not to file charges. It is expected the review will cost the county $6,000. We will keep you updated on the results of the review. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. In terms of updates, there's only one that I have for my cases this week. And I get asked about this all the time, especially on TikTok. And the question is basically, what's up with Cameron Hooker's pending case? In my episode from 2021, titled 2,640 Days, I covered the case of Colleen Stan, who was dubbed the girl in the box. 
In 1977, 20-year-old Colleen Stan was kidnapped and held captive for years inside a small wooden box. Her captors were California residents Cameron and Janice Hooker, a young religious couple. If you haven't listened already, go listen to the episode. Mm -hmm. It's nuts. For those of you who have listened, you know that Janice, Cameron's wife, worked with authorities to provide them with evidence against her husband, who was eventually imprisoned for the crimes he committed against Colleen. And in return, she avoided prison herself. Now, this is mainly due to the fact that most believe she had Stockholm Syndrome. Back in July of 2020, Cameron Hooker was given a referral to be evaluated to see if he was still recognized as a sexually violent predator. If he isn't deemed one, he'd be eligible to apply for parole. If he is, he gets more time in a facility. So basically, he's fulfilled the amount of years that he's supposed to be in prison. And now it's just like, what do we do with him now that he's finished his sentence? So the court date got pushed. And then it got pushed again due to COVID. It moved to February, to March, then to 2021. And then it got pushed again and again. And I always did updates so people would ask, like, when's it happening? So he's basically been in a facility this entire time. He's been evaluated. So we're just waiting for him to get back in front of a judge at nearly 70 years old to figure out, is he a sexually violent predator? And here's the update. His new trial to determine if he is or isn't is set for October 23rd, 2023, oh. which at the time we are recording is tomorrow, which means a couple of weeks have gone by since that has happened. And maybe it went as planned. Maybe it got pushed again. But I'm really sorry that you're going to have to wait until the next monthly update for me to tell you what happened. Um, or you can go look it up yourself. So hashtag worst update ever. I'm really sorry. <laughs> what? Do you predict based I, on? I think he is. Days? I think he is. But it always worries me when someone is 70 years old. Wait, you think he is what? He is a sexually deviant. Oh, like, like you you think they'll come back yeah. and say like, mm-mm. Well, and Colleen, I'm guessing, will be there. Like she'll yeah. testify, I'm guessing. But I, I just, he already had so many years taken off of his sentence because of his age. Yeah. I just get really worrisome. And it's yeah. California. They're kind of known for letting people out. Right. But I That'll mean, be he's, interesting. he's a big media person like they're they'll be all over this right so we'll see what happens well i look forward to that update i just you never know tomorrow we might hear oh we're pushing it out again <laughs> probably there's no more covid though so unless he's sick with it right there's no more covid <laughs> well, I mean, you know procedures you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not like it's closed oh, because proto like of protocols for safety though? yeah sorry or, i should have elaborated like, it's not like a backlog <laughs> Yeah. It's not like the doctor isn't doing We're not in evals. the midst of those terrible times. The terrible days. Oh my God. <laughs> it's the worst. Okay, now for what has been occupying my brain for the last few days. You know, other than my impending vacation. So let's take a trip back to 2005. I was at OSU living with my ex and a few friends. And sure, there were great times like our themed parties or the time I recognized someone from a missed connection post on Craigslist. But the year itself was really rough. In that year, we saw Hurricane Katrina wreak absolute havoc in New Orleans and surrounding areas, resulting in over 1,800 deaths, thousands of people becoming homeless, and millions of dollars in damages. But a few months before Hurricane Katrina hit, a mysterious disappearance took over the U.S. media. I think for at least a year, if not longer, there was one face you would see on the cover of every single magazine in the grocery store checkout line. And that was the face of 18-year-old Natalie Holloway. 
The Natalie Holloway case was an extremely high profile and long unsolved disappearance and presumed murder case that gained international attention. Natalie was an 18-year-old American high school student from Mountain Brook, Alabama, and she went missing on May 30th, 2005, while on a graduation trip to Aruba, an island in the Caribbean. The gist of the circumstances of her disappearance are as follows. Natalie was last seen leaving a nightclub called Carlos and Charlie's Bar around 1.30 a.m. in a vehicle with three local men, 17-year-old Joran Vandersloot, 21-year-old Depak Kalpo, and 18-year-old Satish Kalpo. She was not seen or heard from again. She never made it back to her hotel where she and her friends were staying, and she failed to make her flight home a few hours later. The investigation into Natalie's disappearance was marked by numerous challenges, including issues with local law enforcement's response and cooperation, allegations of misconduct, and inconsistencies in the statements provided by the three suspects. All of them were detained for weeks, but Joran Vandersloot was detained multiple times, and in the end, all of them were released due to a lack of conclusive evidence. I'm assuming, like, people need a fulfillment here on, like, the story, but I know everyone knows this case, right? Yeah, but just, you, you know, know, bullet points. To be honest, I don't You don't remember it, it that uh, well? I remember, like, the big... So it's okay for me to not say that then? I'm just, like, going into a little review? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who were these guys? Joran Vandersloot is Dutch, and in 1990, he moved with his family from the Netherlands to Aruba, where he ended up attending the International School of Aruba. The Calpo brothers were his friends, locals who lived in the area that he met during his time at the school. Joran and Natalie actually met days prior to her disappearance, and on the night of the 30th, her and her friends met up with Joran and the Calpo brothers at the bar. The night she left the bar with them, Joran had actually gotten into a fight with one of the males from her school, and another student had to step in and break it up. That student reported that it was obvious Natalie was very intoxicated when she left with him. Over the years, many differing theories and confessions surfaced. Here are a few. The someone else did it. The Calpos claimed they, along with Joran, took Natalie to a lighthouse and then they went shark watching and then they dropped her at her hotel around 2 a.m. where they saw a security guard approach her. So, uh, hey, we got her there mm. safely, but some other dude walked up. Then there was the it was her fault theory. Authorities actually pitched that Natalie was drinking and doing drugs. She wandered off on her own and probably went into shock and collapsed and like died. And rolled herself into the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there was the, it was an accident. Joran claimed that Natalie had actually been hurt because she tripped, fell, and hit her head on a rock. So those were like constantly in play. Joran told many versions of his story. Do you remember that Dateline or whatever it was where they had the cameras in the car? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that was juicy. What was very obvious was that Joran kept changing his story. And if it was a trial by media, everyone knew he did it. My only question was, did his friends help him? Well, like I said, they were detained early on and let go. All three of them had multiple arrests in Aruba, what were always let go due to the lack of evidence. In 2007, an Aruban prosecutor made an announcement that the Natalie Holloway case would be closed without anyone being charged. Isn't that lovely? But of course, a year later, it was reopened because of a video. 
In that video, Joran was high on the ganja, and he said that Natalie died the same day she disappeared and that one of his friends got rid of her body. Is that the video that you were thinking of? Because he was in the car. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I remember it was like a Dateline special because they had done an undercover. It was an undercover thing video where they and put, audio. Yeah, they put video in the car, and he was he was pretty chummy with his personal driver. Yep. And so the driver was in on it and he'd be like, so what happened that night, man? Like, can't you talk about it? And I remember it being like, not for sure, but he, he talked- because it was kind of wavering. It'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw her. Yeah, we tried to do stuff or no. Well, yeah, I got rid of her. But nothing where it was like, boom, got him. So I think it was enough to make people open their eyes to, OK, we need to reopen this. But it was nothing conclusive. I remember it like mm-hmm. I knew he did it. We all knew he did Everyone it. Everyone knew. But it was it was enough to get them to at least reopen it. So there was, of course, more drama. His story changed again. And this time he made money because he told people he sold her into the sex slave industry. So not only did he sell her for that, he had to like hide her for a while mm. and he made money from that. Now, of course, that was very hurtful for everyone, but it w- was a total lie. Right. That that did not happen. And this didn't change anything. Joran was still a free man who could go anywhere he wanted. And where he wanted to go was Peru. In 2010, he was all over the news again alongside another name, Stephanie Flores Ramirez. This was exactly five years after Natalie's disappearance. Joran met 21-year-old Stephanie while playing poker at a casino in Lima, Peru. The two left together, and lo and behold, Stephanie ends up dead. He, of course, fled Peru for Chile, but was arrested and indicted for extortion and wire fraud in the Holloway case because he had accepted money after promising he would tell Natalie's family where her remains were. So at this point, he's like, yeah, she's dead. I could help you find them. But I need to cost get, it will cost you. Right. So he's getting he's finally being charged for that. At the same time, they're looking into him for Stephanie's murder. So after that charge or those charges were made, he was arrested for Stephanie's murder and ended up confessing. He basically said they were together. She realized he was connected to Natalie's murder and wanted to get away. But he wanted to rob her because she had made a bunch of money playing poker that night. And they en- he ended up flying into a rage and killing her, likely because she didn't want to have sex with him, because that's the, the tried and true. Mm-hmm. Now, he was sentenced to 28 years in a Peruvian prison in 2012. Later that year, Natalie's family had her legally declared dead. And again, at this point, everyone knows Joran killed her, even though there is no body and it's likely he'll never get punished for it. Despite being in a high security prison, Joran still was living his life. He had a girlfriend and he got her pregnant. What? They were married in 2014. All while he was in prison. (sighs) Yeah, let's carry on those genes. Yeah, I mean, a player's going to play, though, right? Because he didn't like use that opportunity to get himself together for his family. Instead, he got moved to a worse prison after he threatened to have the warden killed. (sighs) Do you know who I am? That's what I picture him saying. Oh, yeah. Do you he know has who I real, am? Like, I am Joran van der <laughs> Yeah, he has real, like, my dad owns a dealership vibe. Yeah. So now we're at the part of the timeline where the update lies. And this is the one that's had my brain focused back on this case for a few days. 
In May of 2023, Peru decided to finally extradite Yorin to the U.S. for that wire fraud and extortion charge. Now, thank God, because this guy's a total doucher. <laughs> I was just like, you're going to charge him and, and not do anything with it, right? Like, right. I know he's doing his 28 years there, but he's got other stuff in line. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. So come June, he was here on American soil in Alabama, where Natalie and her family are from. He initially pleaded not guilty to the charges, but U.S. prosecutors decided to offer him a plea deal. And this is hard because, unfortunately, there's a 12-year statute of limitations on homicide in Aruba. So it's complicated because he's also a Dutch national. So the question is, like, are they ever going to prosecute him for her murder? It's highly unlikely, but they're not saying it won't happen. You know, we've seen places lift the statute of limitations, but does it it even apply for a Dutch citizen? And the way her mom was speaking afterward, how she was like, I know nothing will come from this, but I have my answers. So we know know he is the killer. Right. What they can do, though, for something, some closure of, of some sort, is get him to plead guilty for extortion and wire fraud and maybe even get him to admit what he did. And that is what happened. On October 18th, he took the deal And at 36 years old, Joran admitted that he was guilty of the charges of wire fraud and extortion, and more importantly, that he killed Natalie. He gave statements to his lawyer earlier in the month on October 3rd, saying that they were laying on the beach kissing and he had tried to make sexual advances on her and she rejected him. And so he attacked her. She did get a good kick in. She need him in the dick. He deserved that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he kicked her in the face. And when she was unconscious, He picked up a cinder block and smashed her head in. And then he took her body out into the ocean up to his knees and just let her go. So it's pretty it's pretty crazy. She was never found thinking he didn't like weigh her down or go out in a boat. Yeah, it really had me thinking of how many places are surrounded by water. And you can just do that between the tide and the animals, animals and just nature and just gone forever. It's it's kind of incomprehensible. I know. Beth Holloway, Natalie's mom, was given time to speak in court. And here's what she said. Joran, for 18 years, you've denied killing my daughter, Natalie. Your lies and manipulation, taunting us with fake news interviews and wild stories of what happened to her, have caused indescribable pain and harm to my family and me. The grief I feel lives way down deep in my soul. Now, in the course of being sentenced for attempting to sell me her bodily remains, you have finally admitted that you, in fact, murdered her. You are a murderer. Remember that every time that jail door slams shut, you are a killer. You didn't get what you wanted from Natalie, sexual satisfaction, so you brutally killed her. You didn't get what you wanted, so you killed her. And Natalie's body has never been found. I think my favorite quote, from Beth was I don't know that she was mentioning this but it was mentioned that once he was in the US he did put on some weight because we don't feed our prisoners well and she looked at him and said you look like hell I don't see how you're going to make it (laughs) and I really like that not that it's a body shame but it's just like ugh, you look awful well I mean prison's doing its job I guess and who knows what a Peruvian prison is like I just it's hard to swallow this whole he gets to have a a wife and kid while he was in prison yeah it's one thing to go to prison having one yeah 
can we get somebody to talk to that lady? Can we get her some help? Yeah. Good grief. It's sad, but it's nice to have a resolution. Yeah. I can tell you a little bit about Peruvian prisons. Oh, okay. I, I looked it up while you were. Oh, amazing. I would love to hear about it. They probably have fresh, delicious food. This is from, well, Ceviche? some website. The National Library of Medicine, which sounds legitimate. <laughs> As the prisons in Peru are characterized for being spaces with considerable overcrowding, deteriorated infrastructure, and poor health care conditions, consumption of some kind of drugs is frequent amongst inmates, especially those under 18 years of age. Let's see. The internal characteristics of the prisons, the patterns of drug use amongst young inmates, and the rapid growth of this population may exacerbate the risks of transmission of infectious diseases, increase the morbidity of chronic diseases, and even increase the risk of mental disorders. Whoa. Access to medical treatment in Peruvian prisons is low, mainly because of the lack of medicines in the health services and the lack of money available to prisoners. Well, there you go. So if they're feeding them poorly and they're getting things like high blood pressure and high mm. cholesterol, they're screwed. There yeah. is little in the way of evidence that assesses the health and access to treatment for diseases of this population. And that's where he's going to finish the 28 years. Yeah. And then this is concurrent, right? In Peru? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, no, he was moved some. I don't know if he's still in Peru. I'm sorry. I didn't see the name but of probably it. Probably a hardcore prison. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Good. Yeah. It, it's really nice to have that closed for her family for everyone who knew her and loved her, just be like, we all knew, we were all, it's like you're, the world was standing there screaming, oh, going, yeah. he did it. Well, and then when Stephanie was murdered, we were all kind of breathing a sigh of relief that he was actually going to have to do time for her murder because mm -hmm. it got him off the streets because he would have done it again. Yeah. Another five Thank year God there anniversary. Were cameras. Yeah. The fact that he was like, oh, I flew into a rage because they rebuffed my sexual advances. OK, that doesn't explain the exact five years apart. Mm -hmm. You clearly were reliving something. Yeah. Well, and I remember hearing that he had gone into the room and saw her on the computer reading about Natalie. Yeah, she looked him up. And that that was the... And then he that that off. makes more sense, but still, it's uh very convenient mm -hmm. that it was exact to the day mm -hmm. of her anniversary. I did not know that until just now. I guess if you said that earlier, but I didn't know that it was like that. Five years to the day that he killed the next person. Yep. Wow, I did yep. not know that. To the day. Yeah. I that's... didn't really stay up with this case. I heard the name. I think over I said it, but and... I didn't say to yeah. the day. Yeah. I didn't mean like today. I meant over time. I just never heard any of this. I had no idea about the other, the second. Oh murder. yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't, because I mean we were all up in arms about Na Natalie not getting justice, but at least Stephanie could. Yeah. Yeah. I thought his name was Jordan until this new round of oh, that's things came up. Well, until next time, which will be in a while, because Emily is off to travel the world. Oh, I am. That's true. I leave tomorrow. In mere hours. Not to get too detailed so you don't have anybody following oh, you. Oh, please. Which hotels are you staying at? <laughs> what room will you be in? No, can you give us a, a quick little timeline? Yeah, so I am tomorrow heading to Fiji. So I will get to Fiji, I think, on the 25th or 26th. I know, guys. Don't cry for her. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, we'll just be there a few days. I'm going to do a dive. And then we're flying to Brisbane, Australia. I'm um, just doing a quick overnight, heading up to Cairns, Australia, and we're going to be staying uh, up in that corner in Queensland for a week and doing some dives at the Great Barrier Reef. And then we're going to Darwin for a week. It's very hot there. I I have the 
the uh, temperatures on my phone. And oh, fun. It's going to be sweltering. <laughs> um, we'll, we're doing that a week. And then we're going to Perth for a little under a week to see some family that I have there. And then we are finishing off the trip with three days in New Zealand. Going to Hobbitland. Hob- Hobbiton. And I'm going to the Watamo Caves to see the glow worms. I'm doing like a, a inner tube rafting trip with my oh, dad. Cool. And then we're also... Uh, Going to Tiri Tiri Island, which is an island where you can only see birds Ooh. in that one area, should be pretty cool. My dad's very excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Wait, like spe- like specific birds? Yeah, they're only they're specific to this island. Oh, okay, in, Galapagos style. Yeah, it's north cool. of Auckland. What kind of bird are we talking here? A giant uh, raptor? Some sort of waterfowl? <laughs> Let me pull up a, a list little chirp here. chirp, a hummingbird, baby. Are you going to be in the outback at all? No. Oh, okay. I would love to, but um, so my family really got to choose where we're going. <laughs> I really want to go to Melbourne too. You're literally just along for. The I want to go to Sydney, Melbourne, and I and we're not going to any of the places I wanted to go to, but that's okay because I'll go back. Yeah. Let's see. Let's look up some of the Tiri Tiri Island birds. We've got the Takahi, which is a small population of bluebirds that can be found around the lighthouse on the northern part of the island. Whitehead, which is a cuckoo, a long-tailed cuckoo, which lays its eggs in their nest once hatched. Oh, I'm not going to read Cucabara that. We got a moorpork, last surviving native owl. <gasps> We've got the rifleman, um, the smallest bird, oh, New Zealand's smallest bird. The rifleman. A little, they have penguin, a little penguin, <gasps> oh. a saddleback. Um, these all look like pretty small. Ooh, are you playing bird that? noises? Long-tailed cuckoo. Ooh. Ooh, we also have a great wing petrel, whatever oh. that is. That should be fun, though. But we're going straight from a 16-hour pl- plane ride to that island. Whoa. Gr- Grandpa said he didn't need a day of rest. I was like, shall we maybe go the next day and just cut this other trip one day short? And he nope. stared at me and he goes, why would we do that? Why don't we just go on? I'm like, I'm thinking of you, Grandpa. I'm not thinking of me. I, I we'll sleep on the plane. Why like, would you need to do that, you weak coward? He's like, when I was your age. I'm like, all right, fine. We'll just do it. I don't want to hear any bitching. Uh, that's great. Well, that's going to be an incredible time. I'm very excited. And I feel like I'm there now with these kookaburras. I will try to write an episode while I'm there. It's a black uh, wing no petrol. I have a couple of true crime books I'm bringing with me. Nice. No pressure, but it's going to be the best time. I'm going to mentally connect to you so I can live vicariously. Well, I will have my GoPro for my dive. That'll work too. (laughs) And hopefully I can make it work. And then I'll also try to post a lot of pictures. And uh, I'll take a wig photo shoot. (laughs) Didgeridoo. (laughs) I'll take a wig photo shoot with Henry. Perfect. (laughs) He'll need some extra love. Yeah. He can already tell something's going on oh, with all yeah. my bags everywhere. Well, it's going to be a great time. Have and then uh, you can see me in a few months on 90 Day Fiance. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> Just kidding. With Captain, what's his name? <gasps> Don't tease. I'm not. I'm Jason, putting it out into Captain the world. Captain Jason from Below Deck. That would be the best crossover episode <laughs> ever. <laughs> oh. Hey, and we have Nicole L. from Ohio. Actually, I made that up. (laughs) I'm tired. Okay, I need to get it together. All right, starting again.
Chinchwink, Chin Chick Chick Chuv, Chickenik, and Jeremy Cooper. <laughs> Was that not it? No, it's just so funny because it's so hard. Yeah, it's, it's the hardest name. Please, thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't think I read this. Emily's gonna be. Gone. I have another thing. Oh, you do. Oh, I have a, like two, two, three, four pages. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> I was gonna guess Danny Aiello. Who's that? He's a famous character actor. Oh dear. <laughs> Thank you, Alicia. That was fun to have that face pop in my head. Those men were heroes. They stopped a robbery at some sort of store. Ooh, called I'll try to meet Oporto. them. Oporto. <laughs> so my, like I was saying. Ooh boy, this Oporto makes some nice looking food. <laughs> oh, apparently <gasps> delicious burgers. Um, can we take a pee pee break? Oh yeah, for sure. Take a poo poo barfo break if you need. Australia is known for its like food and stuff. Well, yeah, I had no idea. I thought it was gonna be like. Are you gonna UK. eat Vegemite and kangaroo? Absolutely not. I have a love scared of them relationship. Yeah, same. Ooh, they got some good-looking chicken at Oporto. <laughs> it's like the El Pollo Loco of, of Australia. Australia. And that's how you end an episode. <laughs> Bye. It's like the El Pollo Loco of Australia. Is that a good story? Mm-hmm. Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs>